back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group on Sundays in the San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times in Walnut Creek. And I also edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My colleague and close friend for about 100 years is Bruce Aldrich. And uh, our guest today is a repeat guest, John Berg. John and I are friends since um, November. We met each other at the LA Auto Show. He's on our podcast for the second time. John and I uh, were both in the East Bay area last night, so we had dinner at a nice place in Orinda. Kind of, I guess it's Moraga actually, um, the Canyon Club, and got caught up. And so we decided to have John on as a guest again uh, today. So John, um, welcome back. I've I've uh, talked to you twice, three times, and I've seen you once in the last 24 hours. So <laughs> say, how you doing? I know exactly how you're doing, I think. <laughs> good. Doing good, James. Thank you for having me on. And hi, Bruce. Hey, how you doing? The Canyon Club, huh? Uh, sorry I wasn't there. It sounds good. It was good. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a um, you know, a, a, a nice place that um, is kind of hidden away. A little hidden gem, if you will. Um, if if someone doesn't tell you about it, you'd never stumble upon it. No, no, it's a uh, it's a good spot. We'll meet up there again, and Bruce will join us. I'm sure one of these uh, one of these days to, uh, soon. So, John, you're the automotive. I hope so. Yeah, you're the automotive editor of uh, the Oakland Post. You're you own um, several cars. The Alameda Post. Alameda. I said Oakland. Alameda. I I think I did that before. I I apologize. The Alameda Post. And you're a car enthusiast. You know a lot about cars. We we covered a lot of bases last night. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and um, start with your interest and vast knowledge of Corvette. Um, we all know that it goes back to '53. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot again by saying, I know you said probably not, but I know you have a couple of Corvettes. So would it be okay to ask you about your Corvettes and then go into some of the, the real good detail and the nuances of the Corvette that you have a lot of knowledge of? Uh, yeah, I do have a couple of Corvettes. Um, I, I was driving one last night that it was, um, a C4. It's a 96. That's the very last year of the, uh, the fourth generation that, that, uh, is called the C4. And, uh, that's the one that has that enormous clamshell hood. That's uh, kind of reminiscent of, uh, of an F1 car. Yes. And, um, even though it's, uh, you know, over what, 25, 27 years old, um, it's still an outstanding sports car is a lot of fun to drive and they are a great value. So if you if you'd like to get into sports cars, um, they are still you know pretty undervalued. You can get a, a really nice example for uh, under ten thousand dollars, and um, and and uh, they they really perform to uh, current performance car and sports car standards. Ninety. Oh, sorry. Then, Go ahead. Oh, 96. Was that still, uh, was that automatic only or did they have a four speed op- or five speed option? Six speed. Uh, no, that they had a six speed option and, uh, uh, that, that it was a really nice one. They had, uh, revised the, uh, the transmission 
um, at that time. So it's, it's got a really nice performing uh, six speed oh, good. Uh, for the 96. And, um, and then uh, the other Corvette that I have is a, is a C5, which is the, uh, uh, the fifth generation that was the successor to uh, the car I was just speaking of. And, and I have a 2003 example of, of that. Uh, it, that's the 50th anniversary edition. And uh, it has a one-year-only uh, uh, special uh, red color. And um, uh, and that is the first year of of the LS engine, uh, also a, an outstanding, uh, excellent performing uh, sports car. All vets, I, I I agree with it. I mean, they're nice cars, and the value is is down. So hey, that's a cheap way to get in. Absolutely. John, uh, which is the only reason why I have one. <laughs> You're too humble. Uh, John, we were talking last night. Um, the Corvettes, you know, for a long time, it's been called America's sports car, and it has all those appearances at the as the starter car at the Indy 500. It had years where, um, I want to say in the mid-2000s, where it was people really didn't like them all that much, if I remember correctly. Of course, more recently... The mid-engine Corvette, which you know uh, really uh, got the Corvette a lot of attention. We were talking last night about the VIN numbers, and we were talking about some of the very subtle differences uh, through the years that um, the Corvette has had. So, could you uh, enlighten us a little bit about some of those uh, very drastic when they change a generation, or the ones that may have just something that's very nuanced? And it's a different it's a different Corvette. Uh, we got into that conversation about uh, the subtle changes of the Corvette over the years. Yes, uh, because I'm 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 in the preliminary stages of uh, researching uh, a Corvette version of Jane's Guide, if you will. Yes, it, it, post-war, uh, the auto industry. It changed dramatically. It was the rise of the middle class, and Americans had disposable income, and there was a, a rise in, uh, you know, a, a, a design revolution, and and that's when we we first saw year over year changes, uh, where the the fifty five was was uh, n- very noticeably different from the 56 and, and, and very noticeably different from the 57 and so on. And I rather enjoy uh, uh, differentiating the nuances between each model year. And that gave me the idea to, you know, create uh, a, a guide to the year over year changes. And, um, and some of the notable ones uh, was uh, in 1955 as they introduced the side coving. And, um, and then in 1958, we got the quad headlights. Um, in um, uh, 1961, we, we got the first quad taillights, which is uh, 
uh, you know, a styling element that uh, represents Corvette to this day. Uh, and then um, in 1963, we got the uh, the highly sought after and at the time controversial split window. Um, and, um, you, you know, and, and there, there's year over year changes like that all the way through uh, the, uh, the 80s and, and, and even the early 90s when, uh, when, when year over year changes really kind of gave way to uh, pretty much nothing but color changes and wheel changes until you got a mid-cycle refresh. Well, I like the fact that those styling things are interesting too, but I like when they did something, uh, technology uh, advancements in, say, the uh, when they dropped the carburetor or when they went to independent rear suspension, uh, when they stuck the motor behind you instead of in front, you know, on the C8. That, that, that kind of stuff, they got a lot of that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, 1955 saw the first V8 engine. Uh, 1965 saw the first big block. Uh, 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 1963 uh, was the first uh, fuel injection engine. Uh, and, um, and then we got that Stinger hood in 1967. Uh, so yeah, there is, been technological advances to that that uh, go hand in hand with those styling uh, modifications. Yeah, uh, ABS brakes. That was another big one too that I recall. At least to me, that that I knew anything about ABS brakes. They put it on the vet. Absolutely, and I think that was in 1986 for Corvette. That's good, um, John. What about the 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 years um, where? For some reason or another, as a, even a layperson at the time, I wasn't really involved, but I knew that uh, you didn't hear as much about Corvette for, I don't know, six, seven years. They just kind of became a little, I don't know, humdrum or I don't want to say pedestrian, but it might have been. They just The mid-70s. The mid-70s. It just Do, do you recall in, in knowledge of those who was, who was in charge, who wasn't in charge? Did they kind of let things slide for a while? What was, what was the reason for some of those years? Ah, the Malays era. Yeah, the, thank uh, you. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that, that really does parallel what was happening in the domestic car market at that time when the, uh, uh, the, the energy uh, crisis was happening and uh, fuel economy standards were implemented and the way in which that the big three adopted uh, emissions controls uh, just took the power out of uh, the V8 engine, and um, you know Corvette ended up with uh, engines that produced less than 200 horsepower, and uh, it, it was really a time when the, the brand just uh, carried on with little little change and little fanfare, um, uh, but. With the fourth generation, uh, the brand emerged from that. And that's uh, speaking to what, what Bruce was saying about the technological advancements. First, we got Crossfire Injection, which was a twin throttle body setup in 1984. 
And then in 1985, we got tune port injection and the power went up and the refinement went up and it's been escalating horsepower and escalating refinement uh, in, in not just power, but in uh, vehicle dynamics ever since. Yes. Yeah, they always were. Uh, everybody complained about the interiors up till what? I don't know, five, six years ago. The, the interiors really were, um, well, for, for lack of a better phrase, they were just plastic. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the well, rest of the, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that was well said. It, it's simple declarative. They were plastic. That's it. <laughs> yes. And the rest of the auto industry was advancing with, higher quality materials and, and nice fabrics, uh, uh, soft touch materials and Corvettes soldiered on with plastic. Uh, it, it wasn't really until the sixth generation that we started to get a little bit more refinement. And then, uh, the seventh generation, we had an emergence of, uh, contrast stitching and nice leathers on the on the dash and and on the door panels and then then of course the the new eighth generation Corvette is in a, a completely different world with very fine materials on the inside so they it, it took them decades they finally emerged from the the cheap plastic interiors yes. They did. I actually, I there was one year they actually skipped their '83, right when they were going to that that next model, the the '84. They couldn't get it right. I don't know. I was the Crossfire um, fuel injection, I guess, is what was holding them up, and fuel um, EPA. Right. So the Crossfire engine was a carryover from the last year of the third generation Corvette, okay. uh, the the '82. And, and it was emissions regulations that, that delayed the release of the car. Um, they actually did build cars in 83, but they were so late at that point. I think they built something like 79 examples. Uh, but those cars were never sold as 83s. Um, only one exists to this day, and it's at the National Corvette Museum. And um, uh, the others were were either revenged as eighty fours or or they were destroyed. So yeah, there is one year where there are no production Corvettes available. Yeah, John, you were also uh, we were, as you said, it was like having dinner with Andre. That was I I took that as a compliment, and I'll I'll uh, put the put the compliment <laughs> back put the compliment back on you. It was it was always cover a lot of bases. Um, you were also, uh, talking last night about, um, I guess what's commonly co uh, called halo cars and, and some of the different stories about cars that might break away from the mothership, so to speak. So what about the Corvette? What about other vehicles? Viper, we talked about the GT 40. Let's talk about, um, halo cars. What, where would you like to start on that? Uh, well, well, thank you, James. Uh, there's rumor that uh, General Motors wants to 
spin off Corvette as its own brand. And I immediately thought about the significance of a halo car and what the Corvette means to Chevrolet. Uh, and, and Corvette is, is the first example of halo car. And, and what that term means is a car that demonstrates uh, the, the engineering and the styling capabilities of a brand where the manufacturer doesn't really intend to sell a lot of them so much as they want to draw attention to the brand, get people into the showrooms to come and look at it, and then drive out in a, in a more pedestrian model. Gotcha. There's always going to be and, comparisons too, right? When you're buying that Camaro, you know, same motor or same this as the Corvette, so it, it helps those... Lesser cars, like you say. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that Camaro sales is probably driven uh, um, by, by uh, Corvette enthusiasts uh, to a you know, very significant level. I would think. What are some of the other... Uh, well, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think if, if that occurred that it would be... Um, a detriment, a good thing. Uh, how, what's and are there other uh, cars that are in that category that maybe kind of sort of would do that, or where is the, Why does the industry think that's a good idea if they do, if it does? Well, it it, it does lead me to question uh, GM's uh, uh, thinking here on why they would want to spin off. Uh, Corvette as a brand, uh, because um, we've we've always been sold the premise that that Corvette was bolstering Chevrolet sales, and there's there's no one speaking to you know how that might be detrimental to no longer having that uh, you know as a halo, and uh, when when Dodge Viper was released. It had a, a huge benefit for the sale of of uh, other performance vehicles in the Dodge brand, and it it, it um, made the SRT mark extremely popular, and they sold a lot of you know Dodge Neons with go fast parts <laughs> because there was a Viper. Yes. So um. we know that the halo effect works. So I do have some concerns. And, um, and, and one of the uh, things that we talked about when we, when we were uh, addressing this topic was what happened to General Motors during the 2008 you know, economic downturn. Yes. And uh, General Motors and Chrysler went to the government for a bailout. And... Uh, the Obama administration appointed a car czar and they scrutinized the uh, operations of both GM and Chrysler and sought to eliminate the, uh, the, the poorly performing brands. And that's how we ended up losing Pontiac Saturn, Hummer, and Saab. And uh, the uh, justification for killing those brands was that they pilfered sales from the, the larger, more robust brands. 
uh, and and that was really when when we saw an end to badge engineering, if you will, where you have two nearly identical cars, say for trim changes, and one was branded a Pontiac and one was branded a Chevrolet, for example. Yes. Uh, well, if we spin off Corvette as its own brand and then introduce uh, an SUV and, and a sedan, as is rumored to be in the pipeline, isn't that going to uh, pilfer sales away from, say, the, the Chevrolet Suburban or, or um, Yukon. the Traverse? Yep. Yeah, the Ab- Blazer. Absolutely. Well, maybe then they'll so I, whatever falls short, then they'd kill it off. It, it, it's it's certainly something to consider. That I don't know if they're really thinking this this through of of what what effect. So we have both the the uh, the loss of the Halo brand and introducing competition for their own models. Yeah, I wonder how the Hyundai and the Genesis are doing. With the Genesis spinoff, Do you, are you aware yeah, of that? At first, I thought that Genesis was just trying to distance themselves from the Hyundai brand, uh, but it seems to be a, a great success. Genesis brand is doing extremely well. Yes, it is. Um, I think they're actually going to have standalone. Maybe they have some standalone dealerships now. In Southern California, um, that I mean, was their I plan. Didn't know that. They were supposed to. They were supposed to, and then uh, at one point they had a goal of having a hundred. Um, I think I read this a hundred by twenty twenty five throughout California and Nevada, and um, but I don't know what the where that status is. I know it didn't it didn't start as as well as they thought. They were still selling them online and and through um, Hyundai, but. Uh, Car, when you get a car of the year, whether it's warranted or not, if one of the major publications says your car of the year, it usually does pretty good stuff for your sales. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, when they introduced the uh, uh, the concept uh, Genesis X uh, at the uh, at the LA Auto Show, uh, I did an article on that, and and after doing so, I then discover that there is a, a, a pretty lively social media presence of, of Genesis fans. Uh, so they, they have a, a, a pretty robust following. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think it's great. That would be so weird, Corvette, though, to just say, now you say you got a Corvette and everybody knows what it is. And who knows, if they do spin it off, you say you got a Corvette, that doesn't mean anything. You got an SUV, you got a, you know, a big old four-door sedan. What is it, a Corvette anymore? You know, uh, Chevrolet had the Super Sport moniker uh, that represented their performance uh, models. You know, the, the, the Chevelle SS, the Camaro SS. Uh, what is wrong with that? Why does the performance model have to be rebranded? That uh, doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of this. I, I think that it will be detrimental for Chevrolet. Yeah. Um, John, it's uh, not quite a smooth transition here, but another area we discussed last night that I just thought was really fascinating, and and it was your um, interest 
in um, finding the, the, the squeaks and the rattles and whatever it may be in, in a, the particular car that you acquire. And you, you take that as a challenge. I mean, I'm sure that there's some professional that help, can help you get over that. But um, I found it endlessly fascinating <laughs> that, you, that you do that. So um, putting you on the spot once again, uh, what is the fascination with that? Um, of course, I understand it to some level. And have you have there been some unique uh, situations where you and I think you you also have a mechanic involved in this, you know, can't really find out what's going on, or when you do find out, how must be very satisfying. It is very satisfying. Uh, so I'm I'm a bit obsessed with the details, and uh, one way to. Um, uh, you know, to tolerate that is to just document issues as opposed to just thinking about them over and over. Uh, if I hear a, a particular groan sound or a squeak sound or something, uh, it, it just irritates me uh, almost. <laughs> That's right. You did say that last night, and I think I spilled my beer or something. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to the point that it's like nails on a chalkboard, it, it, it's it's just, uh, I can't think of anything else. And I have found that if I document the issue, I can calm my mind and stop obsessing over, over that. Uh, but there is a method to my madness and, and it is a, a, a method of, of restoration of cars that, a, a lot of people do. It's a, it's a sorting restoration and you drive the car and get acquainted with it and you document issues that you recognize, and then uh, one by one, you address those issues until you have um, a car that is, you know, at, in prime condition. And I don't chase every issue. I kind of, I document them so that I don't forget them. And then when I have, say, a brake job, that's when I'll, I'll like, well, you know, look at my list. I also have a squeak or a rattle coming from this corner. And that's the time when I'll attack or, you know, or uh, try and address the, those issues. And so slowly over time, I get a, a car that's, that's fully sorted. So auditory is, is your thing, though. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's the bane of my. Oh. <laughs> Way to go, John! Way to go. <laughs> um, give us an example of a car that, uh, if if one readily comes to mind, uh, that was particularly troubling. And when you had the car the way you liked it, uh, what is a good example of that? And you know that you've maybe you have many of those. Well, you're really putting me on the spot now. Yes, yes I am. You may disown me as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. Um, well, I, I mentioned uh, 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 hearing a, a squeak, hearing a, a, a um, like a, a humming sound. And so um, when I did brakes on, on my pickup, I also uh, looked for any play in the bearings and then just as a preventative measure, I replaced the bearings and uh, 
and solve that issue. It was actually a, a noisy bearing that was ca- causing that. So, um, you know, that's one way in which that I'm able to chase down problems without having to, you know, work on the car every weekend. Gotcha. That's funny. With me, with noise, uh, that means turn the volume on the stereo up if I hear something. <laughs> yeah. or, I, oh, roll a window I, I, down. I have a good... I have a good friend that's told me that that's what I need to do. I need to get a better stereo. (laughs) Yep. Well, uh, John, um, I want to remind people that you are the um, automotive editor of the Alameda Post and um, very knowledgeable in all different areas of the cars. We're going to work together, I'm sure, on some more things in the future. We talked about going into San Francisco um, uh, with the cruise organization, um, hopefully in the future. And, and, um, I'm going to, hopefully that we can maybe even bring Bruce along, you know, and, and have a good lunch somewhere. And, and, um, as you know, um, I'll be spending some time in the East Bay and Moraga and Arenda in the next few months, and you don't live too far from there. So we'll, we'll, uh, continue. I'll continue to soak up some more knowledge as, uh, as time goes by, but Thanks for being a guest on the sec- for our second time on the Weekly Driver Podcast. Um, have people take a look and listen to uh, the podcast. Uh, send us your comments. Please visit my site, uh, theweeklydriver.com. And please read uh, John's articles uh, on the Alameda Post. Uh, thanks, John. Thanks a bunch. Yeah.